0: This is Psych, Wine, and Pop Culture, a podcast brought to you by two best friends, Kristen and Heather. Join us for a glass of wine, providing a psychological perspective on popular TV shows and movies and candid conversations about mental health. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Friday. Well, it's the day that we're recording our very first podcast episode. So welcome. Welcome everybody, I hope
1: everyone has a good week and maybe you can take some time, sit down, enjoy with us, maybe grab a glass of wine. If you don't like wine, then maybe grab some tea.
0: (laughs) We have a really, really fun topic in my opinion. Valentine's Day is coming up and that is the day that we hope this episode will air. And it just got us thinking who is the most romantic boyfriend that we could think of in a popular television show as of now. And naturally the first person that we could think of was Joe Goldberg from the show you on Netflix.
1: Yeah. And this is a perfect time because it just released its second season. So now you get to get really deep into really what's going on with Joe.
0: Yeah, but I'm, totally kidding about him being the most romantic perfect boyfriend because he really is the exact opposite of that
1: you know it depends on who you talk to right
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah that's true Uh, somebody might think that being a stalker who knows every single little detail about your life is just super romantic
1: but this will be something that we're going to be talking about as what are stalkers are there different types of stalkers
0: yeah, and why does Joe do the crazy stuff that he does? Why Why is he the way he is? Because I'm still trying to figure that out. Well, well, we'll surely be talking about that for the rest of this episode. We'll delve
1: a little bit into who he is, maybe a little bit of his background. And we are going to do a character comparison as well. And maybe you guys will start to think of who we're going to compare him to possibly as we go throughout the show.
0: Yeah, because as I was watching it, I definitely started to think about another character who he is really, really similar to in another show that people who like the show You, they might like this other show too that this, that the character that we're talking about is in. So we'll get into that in a little bit, but a big part of our show is wine. We wanted wine to be something that we drank while we talked because as two best friends, I think a lot of other best friends do that too. Yes, and I do want to be sensitive
1: to people who don't drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. You could also, you know, spill the tea with your best friend (laughs) as well.
0: (laughs) I think the way that this is going to work is I will pick a... A wine a white wine or maybe a red wine and Heather will do um, the opposite we when we started thinking about how that was going to work with our show uh, we realized it was more difficult than we thought it would be because we don't live in the same state and we could not find the same wine at the same store so that presented some challenges uh, living in separate states but then I thought of that idea that we should just, you know, do a different wine. And then that way people who like reds will have, um, they'll have a suggestion. And then those who only like whites will have a suggestion. And then the people who like both, well then they just get two suggestions.
1: They're lucky, right? I actually didn't think it'd be that hard to get the same bottle of wine, but I think this is a good solution to our little problem. And hopefully you guys will have a little bit more options too.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna go ahead and tell them about the wine that I chose. I already opened mine, but Heather is waiting to open hers. I personally like white wines more than red wines. Every now and then, um, Heather will recommend a red wine to me and more than likely I will like the one that she she chose. But um, today I wanted to choose the white wine So I went to none other than Trader Joe's right here in Fort Worth. And when I walked in, I expected to get this other white wine that I had tried previously. But you know that lady that stands there with with the wine and she's got, you know, the the different samples and stuff like that. And you walk up to her and she's just so nice that, okay, like, I guess I'll go and try the wine that she has there. Honestly, I never noticed it at
1: Trader Joe's, but there is another store that used to be around me where they had a bunch of different samples. It was like a wine-specific store. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll try all these different types of wines and see which one I like. So my Trader Joe's doesn't do that. You're lucky.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. And, oh, my gosh, they're always so nice at this Trader Joe's, too. I mean, I, I walk in there, and it's like I just have this huge question mark over my head or something and they just know exactly what I need and I'm like <gasps> how did you read my mind? I mean I couldn't choose between a, any of the white wines there and then she just had this one and it was really good. The wine that I chose is called Honey Moon. It's actually a Trader Joe's wine and they have several different types of Trader Moon wines and this one is it's very it's sweet. It has a sweet scent to it. Um, It's floral, but it's just a hint of floral and it's got more of a fruity flavor to it. So the way that it's described is it's a full-bodied wine with peach, apricot, and honeysuckle aromas followed by a luscious honey, mango, and nectar finish. And when the lady with the samples was telling me about it, I mean, she pretty much had me sold at floral and fruity because those are my two favorite things in a white wine. And this is a vinoir. noir. Um, it says that it pairs perfectly with Thai coconut-based curries. That's super specific. Mm. And is it tasty? Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, it's it is good. I tried it, and it says that it's a tasty choice for lobster, roast chicken and soul I don't know what soul is you know what soul is
1: you know I do not I don't want to assume to be quite honest
0: (laughs) well maybe what (laughs) I do not know what that is some of our listeners might know what that is and they can tell us but yeah it has a an alcohol volume of 13.5 percent can you believe that for a white wine
1: I was pretty shocked when you told me that I thought usually they're like eight to ten but that seems kind of high I guess you're getting your bang for your buck on that one huh
0: yeah, for sure because it only cost 6.99 and I thought it would be more. Um and after I tasted it, I just thought wow, it's it's worth so much more than 6.99. I think if you're not a wine snob um and you're just not too picky about it, this is something that you would really like. After I gave it a good sniff, I mean it it was it was pretty tart, but then I took a sip of it and I don't know, just like instantly. Usually I only fill this with red wines, but I felt kind of warm when I, when I drank it. And I don't know, that might just be because my, my alcohol stamina. Tolerance? Yeah, my, (laughs) my tolerance is a little down because I had the flu recently. And so I, I haven't drank in a while. And so it feels like anything that I drink just gets me tipsy super fast. So, but I, I mean, I really like it. It, It's not too tart where, you know, you're feeling like it's sour and it's fruity and it's just got a little hint of floral like like the description says. But I would definitely recommend it to anyone who's just not super picky about wines. And and if you know nothing about wines either and you just want to try a white wine, I, I would definitely recommend this to kind of ease you into the wine drinking What do you have, Heather?
1: I have a specific wine from here in Temecula, actually. So for those of you who don't know about Temecula, it's kind of like the second wine country in California. So there's a lot of different wineries in Temecula. So this is actually from a winery here, and it's called In at Chiron Winery. And it's a Sinfandel Red. It was actually from 2016. So actually, I've had it since then. So it's been a, it's, I'm opening it for a special occasion for our first show. <laughs> so it's kind of, I mean, I would consider it old because usually I don't really let bottles sit that long, but you can when they're reds. Um, the Zinfandel is very, be, it's very smoky in this particular one. Um, there's hints of currant and licorice. I would definitely recommend it if you're a person that likes these types of flavors. It's kind of in a way... Um, if you like earthy types of scents or earthy types of flavors. So it is very earthy. This particular Zinfandel. There is no alcohol content, actually, on this one. That's kind of strange. There should be. Oh, no, it's right here. 16%.
0: Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, I
1: thought yours was high. Actually, I didn't even get a chance to look at it until right now. So 16%. And usually, from what I've heard, is that reds usually have a higher alcohol content than whites. So I guess that's not out of the norm.
0: Well pop it open.
1: Okay. I'm gonna go ahead and do that right now.
0: Ooh. Did you hear that? I hope that that got caught. I love when you pop the cork. It's like AMSR. Did I say that right? AMSR. A-S-M-R. A S M R. Yes, <laughs> you said that correct. No, no, <laughs> I, I said, said I said AMSR. It's A S M R
1: I want to say it's ASMR. I may not be right on that. We may have to Google that after we're done, but I think it's ASMR. Yeah, that's correct. Honestly, if
0: you ask me right now, I don't know exactly what it stands for. Do you know? No, but you're pouring that wine, and it's just so soothing to me to hear sounds like that. If I took a guess, I think it's like autonomic sensory
1: M response. Hmm. I don't know what the M stands for, but maybe we'll Google it later.
0: (laughs) Well, before we take a sip, we should cheers, even though there will be no clinking sound when we cheers, but we're we're looking at each other through Skype video chat, so we can cheers.
1: We do the virtual cheers.
0: Clink virtual cheers, yes. So take a sip. Tell me what you think. It really
1: kind of feels like it's grounding actually that's that's kind of a weird way to put it but it really just like yeah when I kind of took it in it felt grounding in the sense that it I felt all those earthy tones that make sense like the smokiness the licorice the current it's really grounding in your palate and it kind of went down a little bit hot but it's tasty
0: what's it called again Zinfandel we're gonna go ahead and put pictures of both of those wine bottles on our Instagram. You can follow us at psychwinepop, no periods, no underscores, just psychwinepop. Before we start, we're going to go into a little background of Joe. My source was fandom and I just copied and pasted it and I'm gonna read and summarize a little bit about Joe Goldberg from the Netflix show You. I'm sure some people who listen to this will already know most of this information, but maybe for those of you who don't watch it, we'll just give you a little summary of what this character is all about. And he has a lot going on, we'll tell you that. So, Joe is a loner bookstore manager who becomes infatuated with a woman named Guinevere Beck. What a name, right? So he begins to stalk her in a variety of ways and he tries to find out everything about her and his ultimate goal is to make her fall in love with him. And his obsession becomes out of control and he starts trying to control every aspect of her life too. So Joe didn't have the most typical childhood. He, he had a lot of difficulties um, growing up his parents were in a very dysfunctional relationship he idealized his mother but his father was really abusive um, especially to his mother but his mother wasn't perfect either even though joe idealized her she frequently cheated on his father and often he she would leave joe while she would go cheat on on her husband and sometimes she would leave him alone in public areas so sometimes at the store and things like that and his father would also torture joe too and there's even one point where he takes a a cigarette that's lit and he burns joe um, under his arms because he was trying to get joe to confess um some stuff about his mother's infidelity so he was also abusive to Joe. We'll go more into that later, but it—I mean, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody who's starting the second season because that's when they really start to get into his past. But um, you can—you can see from the first season that when Joe is in his adolescence, he kind of has this mentor um, named Mr. Mooney, and he's a retired Soviet prison guard. So this guy's—he's pretty tough, and he owns a bookstore. And he kind of took Joe under his wing, and he took care of him, and he guided him in a lot of ways. And he would teach Joe these lessons, but they—his teaching methods were just a little unorthodox. This basically would shape Joe into who he is too. And a big part of teaching those lessons is this glass cage. Yeah, a glass cage. And he would keep it in the bookstore basement. And that is something that Joe inherited when he started managing the bookstore. And it's a big reoccurring thing. It pops up all the time with certain relationships he has um, in both seasons. So if you just finished the first season, don't worry. The glass cage comes back. After giving some summary of Joe... I'm sure you you might be thinking, okay, why why does he do all this stuff? Why why are his, why is he a stalker? Um, I had all these questions too. Generally, when I'm watching a show about some complex character like this, I always try to ask Heather what they're thinking or why they might be doing what they do, because she has a background in clinical psychology.
1: I do want to I- reiterate that I don't have a License and clinical psychology. I'm still a student and I'm getting my PhD in clinical psychology But I do have about almost 10 years of studying this stuff So I would say I have some knowledge and it's pretty extensive and I will soon have my License to be a psychologist as well um, But going into Joe You know thinking about him at first. I don't know if a lot of people think about him as a stalker um, Do people know what stalkers are? Right. Does I think for us, maybe because we've talked about it, you know, he kind of screams stalker to us. But whenever you have someone who is a stalker, there's always typically an obsession. Right. They have an obsession over, you know, someone it could be a female, it could be a male, it could be, you know, someone of their desire, basically. And then there's actually different types of stalkers, actually. Um, and there's many different ones, but these are just like the three main ones they were going to cover for this particular podcast. You may have an intimacy-seeking stalker. You may also have a resentful stalker or a predatory stalker. Um, Looking at these three different ones, like I said, there's more. These are just three of the main ones. And this information was actually found by an academic journal, and it's called the Multiple Classifications of Stalkers and Stalking Behaviors Available to Clinicians. So these are just the three men, ones they discuss in the article. Maybe Kristen can figure out which one Joe is.
0: Mm, okay. Uh-oh, <laughs> pop quiz. Oh, my gosh. Pop quiz, right? <laughs> oh, actually, before we get into that, I have to say that there might be times where our mics go in and out because Heather and I are recording this uh, with with mics from, what are these? like? They're like gamer headphones, aren't they, with a the microphone? And it's not the best quality, but it's the best we could do considering we're having to record this podcast from two different locations because she's in California and I'm in Texas. So we look at each other through Skype video chat, but we record on Audacity through these gamer microphones. So we just apologize if some, some of the audio goes in and out, but we're doing the best we can. And hopefully with a little bit of more experience, maybe we'll figure it out, but if not, maybe
1: this is the best it'll get. (laughs) So going to the three different types of stalkers that are most commonly known, um, you have the intimacy stalker, and this is someone who is looking to feel emotionally close to someone, and whenever you're seeking emotional intimacy, you want to feel either loved or you want to show someone else love, right? And these intimacy stalkers, they'll, you know, come. Conf- they'll find their target, and they're going to look at the qualities um, that are desirable to them in an ideal partner. And sometimes they actually may idealize this person in front of them. Um, they may not see all the faults the person has, and they may think this is the perfect person, and they're going to love me. And they're looking at any which way that they can go into this person's life in order to create a long-term loving relationship. Sometimes this happens through control. Um, sometimes it's repeated communications and sometimes the communication can be unwanted um, or it could be in negative responses as well. Um, there's also resentful stalkers. So this, this you also see in you and we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. And it could be Joe or not be Joe. But a resentful stalker is someone who has a personal vendetta towards their desirable object, so the person of their desire. So they're stalking this person because they have a grievance with them, or they want to harass this individual, or they want to gain some type of revenge against that desirable object that they have. Um, The third commonly known stalker is the predatory stalker. Um, This one is obviously, by the way it's sounding, is a little bit more aggressive. So there could be aggressive behavior either physically or sexually. Um, Predatory stalkers are typically going to assault a target through aggression, and they're going to have maybe a violent outburst or have repeated fantasies about engaging with that particular object of their desire and usually those fantasies are violent in nature they could be sadistic so for example they may think about possibly kidnapping this person tying them up um, and the whole process of thinking about it gives them satisfaction so those are the three main stalkers according to this article
0: Mm. and
1: Kristen, what do you think? Which one do you think Joe is? Uh,
0: Okay, well, first, I have to say that you did a really, really good explanation of all three of those. It's probably because you're also a professor of psychology and you explain this stuff like every day, right? (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I don't talk about
1: stalkers in my class, but I do talk about other things that could be similar. So thank you. (laughs)
0: Yeah. they're all pretty scary to be honest but I I don't know I think Joe definitely I think he's an intimacy seeking stalker because he seems like he just really wants to have someone love him he wants to be loved but then he also wants to love someone else and then I think he might flip between that one and the resentful stalker um because it's i don't know he's pursuing a vendetta i guess maybe like like how he stalked the therapist in the first season the the therapist that that beck was having an affair with um i mean he 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 sought out to you know read what was in his laptop he he was trying to see like when was he going to be outside in the dark so that he could attack him. So I don't, I mean, I don't know. That could be predatory too. Now I'm starting to second guess myself. Um, Definitely he is an intimacy seeking stalker. Am I right? I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) So that's
1: definitely, that's definitely the major one that he's, according to the show and what they're showing us, they do show him as more of an intimacy seeking stalker. Um, But he can also be a resentful stalker as well, But what you're saying. So he does um, try to do some type of control against Guinevere by seeing who she's hanging out with, the therapist, figuring out, okay, is the therapist involved? And then also another good example is that he starts to kind of feel insecure, or jealous, I would say, about the relationship with Guinevere and her best friend, Peach.
0: Right? Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. Oh, poor Peach.
1: I know. So that could also be a category of resentful stalker. Um, not that he's exactly hurting Guinevere. It's more indirect in how he's doing that. Because he's hurting Peach, if
0: that makes mm. sense. Yeah. But it's yeah. still re- it's still resentful, though. Peach had an obsession of her own, though, with, with Beck. Because she was in love with her and you remember that she had those pictures the polaroid pictures of her like while she was sleeping and then she would keep them and then joe found them and it was so weird because it was like okay they're both stalkers in a way
1: to be honest i totally forgot about that but that's a really good example it's funny that you know guinevere is this person that you know is a writer and she has all these relationships. And out of her relationship, she has two people that are stalkers. How interesting is that?
0: Yeah, I didn't make that connection. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of did. You but did, oh, really. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Subconsciously, I guess I made that connection. Because I was thinking more of like Joe found out about Peach and then Peach found out about Joe. So they both know. But Beck does- doesn't know that. You know? She doesn't know that about either one of them.
1: And, you know, funny thing is, talking about stalkers in general, and you you touched on Peach, you know, Peach could also be a resentful stalker herself. Because, I don't know if you remember, but somewhere throughout the show, she kind of feels that Guinevere is kind of drifting away and kind of spending more time with Joe. And I think she calls Guinevere and says that, you know, something to the effect that she took some pills. Right?
0: (gasps) Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, by the way, it's either Guinevere or Beck. They're the same person, but usually she goes by Beck because I guess she hates her first name. And her parents gave both her and her other siblings some really just old-timey names, so I think they come up with their own nicknames. Honestly, I
1: like saying Guinevere. That's why I say it. But I'll say Beck from now on if it, if it makes it easier. <laughs> um, but anyways, as as I was saying... Um... Peach, in a way, is distressing her object of desire by trying to control her into, you know, coming back. So Mm. she could also have that category underneath her name, too.
0: Well, with that being said, I think I'm going to pour myself a little bit more wine before we get into the other aspects of Joe. I think it's not... Uh, a far stretch of the imagination to say that Joe has some delusional thinking. At least in the beginning, like before anything started with Beck, he honestly thought, you know what? If I just meet her, like she'll love me. I'll be the perfect boyfriend because I'll know this about her. And I know that about her. Well,
1: uh, it's It's. It's on the borderline of delusional. I mean, of course, anybody can think that if they're trying to be in a relationship with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, the part of the delusional thinking is because he takes it an extra mile and in a way violates her privacy. And because he thinks he knows all this stuff about her, that's why it's becoming more on the borderline of delusion. It's like, okay, it's like, I know all these things about her, so she must love me because I'm going to, in a way, make her love me.
0: He also has a lot of impulsive behaviors too
1: that is true and there's plenty of examples of that in the show so obviously peach already talked about that one when he smashes a rock on top of her head um we also
0: <laughs> yeah i remember that and he he was stalking her because he was uh he was trying to run and that part I found hilarious because he he could not keep up with her because she was jogging. And do you remember that? And he was so out of breath but trying to keep up with her. And then he found- and Peach is looking like,
1: you know, she's running through like a field of rainbows. You know, she's not even heaving or anything. And Joe's just over back there
0: heaving really hard. Yeah, and then he smashes her over the head with a rock. I thought she was dead when that happened because it looked really bad. And then the next thing you know, she's over there. Was it at Beck's apartment that they were at? But all the all the girlfriends were together and he was just in absolute shock that she was alive. Well, she didn't remember either that he was the one who attacked her.
1: Honestly, I did get a little bit of a kick of that scene where, you know, he comes to the apartment and he kind of has that, oh, shit moment. Does she remember? Mm-hmm. Is she going to say something? Um, but obviously, you know, we know that she, does- she doesn't. She um, does Another impulsive behavior that he does related to his stalking is he kidnaps um, Beck's love interest.
0: <gasps> oh, remember yes. that? Her, yes, her booty buddy.
1: Her booty buddy. And that's where the whole glass cage comes into play. I remember when I first saw the glass cage. I was shocked. I did not expect to see that. And at first I was like, okay, what's he going to do with him? Is he going to kill him? Is he just trying to get him to not be around Beck? And obviously throughout the show, we see a little bit things happen and start to see more of those impulsive behaviors, especially with his relationship to this love interest of Beck's.
0: Yeah. He, I feel like he impulsively puts a lot of people in that glass cage.
1: I'm trying to think. He put love interest. He put Beck in there. He put Beck in
0: there. And then in the second season, he put that guy that he met on Craigslist that was supposed to help him get a new identity.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then another – and then... then Delilah as well.
0: Yes, and Delilah. But I don't understand how that guy that helped him get the new identity, like, he was, like, friends with him afterwards, Right? That was pretty shocking. Okay. That was pretty shocking. Do you do you think that that goes back to like Stockholm Syndrome? Because in Stockholm Syndrome, don't they like bond with their captor?
1: Uh, well, there there's research to show that or in case studies that, you know, people who are in a traumatic experience where someone has them hostage or kidnapped, that they kind of start to go into survival mode, but in a way of kind of accepting it's like okay this is you know my life and you start to become used to it right so you're seeing this person every day and you know you start to develop intimacy you start to get to know the person so you know some people may develop Stockholm syndrome where you know they don't really see that person as evil or negative towards them so it could be that I don't remember this guy's name but the guy off of Craigslist that's what we're gonna call him <laughs> Craigslist guy <laughs> Craigslist guy developed Stockholm Syndrome Um, but yeah definitely Joe is very impulsive Um, I'd say he even lacks remorse too Um, especially these things that he's doing to these people he's not really thinking you know do these people have family Um, when he does actually murder um, what was the love interest name in the first season
0: oh he had a weird name too Um... it was weird yeah, but I I think anybody who watches this show will, will know who you're talking about. I Can mean, we call him Soda Guy? Because I remember he had, like, craft soda. <laughs> oh, yeah, he had that soda. So he made... A, okay, Joe, another thing I don't like about him is that he's super judgy about other people. So he didn't like this guy because he felt like he was, like, a hipster and, I don't know. That privileged. Have, privileged, yeah, privileged. And this guy had his own... Business where um, he made craft soda or like sparkling water or something, and just to mess with him whenever Joe had him captive in that glass cage he there's this little compartment thing where he can pass things from outside the cage to inside the cage and so he gave him three samples of different sodas and told the guy that he had to choose which soda was his, and then the guy couldn't even identify which one was his I'm not gonna lie that
1: was a little funny but also it shows that you know he was trying to prove a point to him that you're really not that great um obviously he's trying to show that you know he's better than him in a way Mm. and but going back to his lack of remorse I mean every action that he does it's kind of internalized to him where he thinks you know I'm in the right for doing this you know, I had to do this because I need to protect Beck, you know, but he's not really feeling bad about the actions that he does. Yeah, they're more centered around by, you know, feeling that he needs to protect Beck. Yeah, he rationalizes everything centered around protecting Beck, protecting the fact that they're in a relationship. And then rationalizes that this guy, in a way, is kind of a piece of trash, this love interest that she has, and if I just got rid of him, her life will be so much better.
0: Oh, my gosh. She thinks that about so many people. Peach. That guy. We still don't know his name. Um, just, oh, the therapist. A bunch of people. It, it's just so crazy to me. I mean, just overall, I think he's such a narcissistic person, too, because, like you said earlier, he just thinks he's better than everybody and then he has to let them know that and that's what makes it hard for me to watch that show because I like I have to connect with the main character in some way I have to feel like I'm on their side in some way and it's really hard for me to watch a show about someone who just lacks remorse does what they want and just doesn't think about the consequences And it's just so hard for me to like Joe.
1: You know, I was thinking the same thing. I'm wondering if, you know, people are drawn to him as a character. Do they like him? Do they not like him? Yeah, I would say he's narcissistic for sure. Um, He could also be antisocial. He may not meet all the criteria for it, but he definitely has those um, small symptoms of, you know, having lack of remorse, impulsive. Um, But more so he definitely is narcissistic seeing the world basically from only his point of view and you know bettering Himself and not really looking at how his actions affect others
0: Do you think that his past has a lot to do with? why why he has certain reactions to things or um, just the way he rationalizes things yeah, I mean, it definitely plays a role in,
1: you know, who he is as a person, you know, growing up in that type of environment where, you know, he was abused, his mother was also abused as well. I, I believe the father um, engaged in physical violence with her. Mm-hmm. So Joe was witness to that. He was obviously worrying about the safety of his mother, which could also explain why he has this overwhelming need to protect Beck and kind of have him have her alter her, uh, have her all to himself so if you're looking at it from you know his childhood and his past and how it affects now he's kind of mirroring the same relationship with his mom so in a way i'm not going to say beck is his mom but he is having this overwhelming need to protect her and have that guardian role and he's not really looking at how that may affect her he kind of goes and overextends and controls every aspect of her life so extensively that she cannot have other relationships. And that's where it becomes unhealthy, basically. So of course you wanna protect the person you're with,
0: Yeah. but now it's going to another level. So wait, do you think that like going back to his mom that he's like projecting that wanting to protect the girl he's with? Because he couldn't protect his mom from his dad, it could
1: definitely be a theory. I, that's something that I would say myself. Because obviously, that's something that impacted him throughout the TV show. You see him, you know, kind of have flashbacks of his mom. You know what she would experience, what he was seeing his mom experience, and obviously, he wasn't fear like any child would you know about his mom's safety. So I think it, he's kind of replaying that with these romantic relationships that he has.
0: I think anybody who has a little bit of information about domestic violence would know that there's often a cycle of abuse. I would
1: say it's a risk factor in the fact that you have experienced that and especially coming from, you know, a child's mindset, that's all they know, right? Their parents fought. And The way they would interact with each other would be yelling at each other or, you know, one or the other hitting each other. So how are they supposed to know that that's not normal, basically? So as they grow up, you know, they're more likely or have a risk factor for that because they don't have, you know, positive role models or anyone saying, oh, actually, that's not what you should do. So that could be a reason when you see that later.
0: Well, not to go off on on a little tangent here, but... When I was a news reporter, I had done a story over a domestic violence shelter for women. And I remember interviewing this woman who she, she told me that she didn't know what domestic violence was. Growing up, all she witnessed was just her parents fighting and, and a lot of times it got physical. And so whenever she grew up, she thought that was normal, like you said. So she ends up marrying someone who ends up being abusive to her. And then she just thinks this whole time that that's normal. Whenever I was watching this show, I was just thinking that in a lot of ways, Joe seems to exhibit some forms of intimate partner violence um, because of the way things ended with him and Beck. And then I remember bringing that up to you and then just getting your perspective on that.
1: And not to mention that that's not the first instance in the show that we see intimate partner violence. He also has a prior ex where he tried to murder.
0: Candace.
1: Exactly, yes. And I feel like the show maybe doesn't highlight it too much, but it definitely is an example of intimate partner violence. You know, anytime that you engage with, you know, your partner, either physically, you know, hitting them, punching them, pushing them, Or even emotionally, you know, telling them that they're worthless, that they'll never get a job, or controlling them by not letting them have friends. Those are all examples of domestic violence. And I think people always think about just the physical sometimes, but they really don't know that there's other types either. Mm -hmm. There's emotional Mm -hmm. violence or emotional abuse. There's psychological control as well. So there's more to it. And sometimes whenever someone's experiencing it, they may be experiencing all three of them, actually. It may not just be one or the other. So they could be experiencing all three of them. And I think a lot of people also, when they think about domestic violence, let's say you have a friend that maybe experienced it, and you're really worried about him or her, and you're like, well, I don't get why you just leave. If you're in such a bad situation, just leave. You know, that's why you don't get hurt. Mm -hmm. Well, it's really not that easy to leave. A lot of the times these, you know, men and women are scared to leave. Or sometimes they're in denial. And sometimes even though they're experiencing all this abuse, they still love the person. Right? So it's really not clear cut and dry to be like, okay, they're abusing me. I'm just going to leave the relationship. Right? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of other factors that play into that. So especially with denial, in domestic violence so people are thinking okay well how can someone be denial of being hurt or being abused well what happens actually with research what has been shown is that when someone who is an aggressor or a perpetrator of domestic violence they actually have this cycle that they go through with their partner so for example let's say i'm an aggressor you know maybe i have you know really hard day at work and I just take it out on my spouse or partner and maybe I throw something at them or push them or hit them, right? And obviously that's distressing to my partner, but later on, I'll maybe I'll feel bad and I'll say, oh, I'm sorry, I won't do that again. And then I may say, for example, "Let's let's go do something together. Like I'll try to make it up to the person or maybe I'll give them a gift. And as a victim, you're like, oh, they're really sorry about what they did right? So it kind of confuses the victim as to, okay, they really do love me. And sometimes they're in denial because they really don't know exactly, you know, how this person feels about them. Are they tr- truly showing them love? Mm-hmm. Sometimes love gets confused with violence.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that things get even more complicated if you have children in the situation too. Definitely, you know, you don't ever want to You know, have your child
1: observe, you know, domestic violence. You know, it could, you know, scare them. They could also feel fear for you, fear for their own safety as well. Um, It also becomes complicated because it's harder to leave the situation, which I think that's where you're trying to get to, right? If you have a child Mm -hmm. and maybe you do want to leave the situation, how are you going to leave the situation with a child? That makes it a little bit more complicated, right? You have to figure out, okay, how am I going to move finances, Where is my kid going to go to school? You know, it's really not that easy to kind of just get up and go sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think you see that complication when um, Joe's mom is wanting to leave. But I don't think she thinks about all that other stuff. Like, where is Joe going to go to school? Who's going to take care of him? No, she doesn't. I don't think she thinks about any of that. It. I
1: mean, <laughs> you know, we don't know, but, you know, from her actions, probably not as we see that, you know, she's already having other relationships. And obviously she doesn't take Joe's safety into consideration by leaving him out in the public and not having any supervision whatsoever. So
0: it's possible that she's really not even thinking about his safety either. Do you think that Joe's relationship with his mom and how she treats him and everything affects his future romantic partners.
1: Mm. For my just looking at the TV show, I don't think he's very selective in who he chooses. Like he has a certain attraction towards a certain type, I would say. But I don't really see it as his mom. Um, especially because in the, se- the second season, um, I think the last scene is very random. Basically, he actually is now showing interest with someone else and they just met like they're just neighbors. So I don't really think he's like intentionally or he has a particular type. It's just if this person is attractive and because obviously he doesn't know if this person needs help or needs to be safe. So I don't really think they're, they're correlated necessarily. So as a child, yes, he didn't feel like he could protect his mother from his, you know, stepfather or father. I'm not quite sure if that was his real father or not. But I feel like as a child, you feel helpless and powerless. And now as an adult, you know, he tries to take more of that control. And when he's in these relationships, he wants to kind of ensure that no harm or something unsafe can happen to his partner and he takes it to another level obviously so just because they have a best friend or they have you know a f buddy <laughs> you know <laughs> doesn't buddy. mean you doesn't mean you have to kill those people in order to keep that person safe so he kind of just takes it into a an extra level
0: yeah i mean i think just to sum it up if you know a joe i i don't think that that he's like the healthiest person to to be in a romantic relationship with i think sometimes they over i don't know like glamorize him as this hot stalker and I, i just don't i don't know i i guess i just kind of like disagree with that You know what I mean? Like glamorizing the stalker component. Oh, that's so hot. I just, it's an interesting show to watch. And I know that it's just entertainment. But I don't think Joe's like an example of someone who's the best or the best person to have the healthiest relationship with. Exactly. I agree with you. And I think you're right in the
1: fact that they are kind of glamorizing it, but also... They also try to give him a human perspective like with any show, right? So he the only I would say redeeming quality that Joe has is that he does have a love for
0: kids. Yes, oh, he does. That's the only thing that I ever root for him. Like if he's right? like, if he's trying to protect a child, like I'm trying to root for him. Like he uses his stalker abilities to help especially his um his neighbor in the second season. She's a young girl, she's 15, she's very vulnerable, and she's also a little precocious. She thinks that, I mean, she is smart. I think she is very smart for someone who's 15, but Mm -hmm. she does lack that, um, you know, just life experience, and so she gets caught up in these situations with, with maybe some of the wrong people, and Joe does look out for her in the same way he looks out for his neighbor in the first season um and in the first season that that neighbor Paco um he's he's a boy who I don't know he's probably like what 13 maybe 12 12 yeah and he's going through the same situation with an abusive um stepfather well I don't know if they were married his his mom but his mom's boyfriend was very abusive And you could see that she was also going through that cycle of abuse that you were talking about earlier. Um, And that was a great example of it, too. So I think Joe identifies somewhat with this young boy, with Paco. um, But then he also feels this need to protect um, the the girl in the second season. Ellie, that's her name, Ellie. It's interesting, depending on who
1: he is in this, environment of violence, you know, with kids he's kind of more adaptive like he wants to help the kid he actually really tries, he actually tries to kind of be a mentor to Paco in some respect, right. you know, he actually feeds him too notices that he needs food you know, gives him books um, gives him advice, you know those are all great things, but then when he's on the other side of it, as far as like when he's in a romantic relationship, now he's maladaptive right, and he's not even seeing the own violence that he's portraying to his partner Mm
0: -hmm. but he he
1: clearly sees it for the kid but not for himself
0: yeah yeah he's just i don't know he's a crazy one
1: (laughs) yeah well i think that's what makes good tv i guess right the crazier the tv show the more reviews the more (laughs) interested
0: viewers correct yeah yeah that's true but speaking of redeeming qualities i think I think we should make our comparison uh, to the other character. I absolutely adore the show, Dexter. And the whole time I'm watching this, I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, that's that's what Dexter does. You know, Dexter is a serial killer. You think, how can I be, how can I root for a serial killer? How can I be a fan of this show when the main character is a serial killer. Well, Dexter only kills people that have done wrong. So he'll kill like anybody from a child molester to somebody who's murdered someone else. Um, He he has murdered all kinds of people that have done wrong. And and even though, you know, murder is wrong, no matter what, it's just interesting to watch because he believes that he's a sociopath that he just has no feelings for other people that he doesn't love anyone else that he doesn't feel any remorse for this he feels like he has to kill people that this is a thing within him that i mean he was just born with and he really wasn't because he experienced um, a really traumatic event when he was a toddler he's he saw his own mother get killed um, in a really violent way and so after that he started to feel like well he has to kill people to to um, have that emotional release but you feel like this empathy towards him you feel sympathy and then you almost feel like okay well I guess if you feel like you have to kill you might as well kill bad people
1: that's the classic vigilante example right so vigilantes are people who will kill other bad people right people who are doing wrong oh yeah but batman, it,
0: batman. batman's a guy. batman
1: he's a vigilante yeah but is joe a vigilante no 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 he's he's a stalker so that's the difference between the two and i think that's maybe that's why it's more difficult to i don't know feel empathy towards joe or start to like him as a character because He's narcissistic, like you said. He's self-serving. He's only looking out for his own interests. Versus Dexter, I mean, I guess sometimes Dexter wants to kill because he likes it, I think. But also, he's being specific in the victims that he chooses. He kind of wants to purify the world from these people who are causing harm to others.
0: Yeah, because he has that really bad need to kill people so he just thinks like well if i have to do this i might as well be productive yeah that's a adaptive way to look at it
1: or it could be a maladaptive way to look at it right um but i definitely think that's why i think you and i maybe some people can agree with us that dexter is a little bit more likable
0: yeah now joe he's i don't know he's something different man he's like his he's his own little breed Yeah, he's in his own um, corner. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess it's all up for debate. They're not real people, so there's, you know, it's not like they're your patients in therapy where you can be like, okay, this is what you do next to fix that problem. No, (laughs) they're not real people. No, this is just a topic for
1: discussion. It just meant to be fun and discuss different psychological concepts and you know see how you know real issues can appear in real life like intermittent partner violence domestic violence i don't think people automatically think of that when they see the show you mm-hmm. but it is in there and i think it's important that you know we kind of covered that
0: yeah i think it's important to highlight things like certain themes that we see um in in shows and in pop culture i mean it's definitely helpful to have you as a friend cuz you point these things out to me Whenever I'm watching a show or we watch a show that we both like. I mean, I think it's fun. It's kind of, I don't know. I feel like I I just know a little bit more because you're my friend. So you can tell me (laughs) things that I wouldn't normally notice.
1: And, you know, you actually know more than you let on, actually. And this is not meant to be, like, very formal and clinical. It's like, yeah, he has this. And this is exactly why he is the way he is. But it's more of just like a topic of discussion as to, Okay, this could be a reason as to why he does this or why he's impulsive, or, you know, these are the relationships that he chooses. You know, it's just, you know, for fun, really. We're not really diagnosing, but more of just having conversations. And I think other best friends do this too, right? Even if they're not psychologists or therapists. they probably talk about this stuff, I would think.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, why not? I think we do that when we watch reality TV like The Bachelor or something like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know. I don't know. That's that's too much drama. Yeah. Well, I think this was a very productive conversation. Definitely provided a lot of insight as to some realistic themes that are going on in the show you. It was just it was fun to talk about Joe and just his background and his way of thinking. I really enjoyed it too. And I think this is
1: a good first topic because, you know, it's Valentine's Day. People are probably thinking about love, but also they might not be thinking about stalker love either. So I think it's a good little tie-in into Valentine's Day. And I do want to reiterate that we're not diagnosing, but we're just kind of having fun conversation about psychological concepts in TV shows.
0: Yes, and have healthy relationships.
1: (laughs) Yes, have healthy relationships and don't be afraid to communicate your needs and concerns. It's the most important part.
0: Yeah, so happy Valentine's Day and don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Our handle again is psychwinepop. And we'll be posting about the different wines that we try on this show and just be sharing some other fun things that we find on other psychology accounts and a little bit more about um, who I am, Kristen, and who Heather is. And uh, yeah, I mean, I hope that you'll continue to listen and we'll be thinking of more topics to cover throughout the episodes. All right, guys. See you soon. Bye. Are we hanging out? No. Okay. Bye.